0: Take your Bibles this morning and 1 John, if you will, in your Bible, 1 John. A lot going on in the world. We kind of talked about that last Sunday morning a little bit. And uh, everybody's curious about it all, but uh, just know this, my friend, the day of the Lord is drawing nigh. Amen. And uh, let's be found faithful when he comes for his church. And that's what we're waiting for. The next thing on God's calendar is the catching away, the taking home... Amen. Of his bride, and so church, be ready, be faithful. This thing is heating up in the Middle East. A lot of things happening, and uh, lack of leadership everywhere, and which is a mark of the end times, really. God remove leadership on every level. We don't have much leadership in this world anywhere to be found, and uh, the world's looking for somebody who has got answers, and Satan will give them somebody. That somebody be a a man that God calls Antichrist. And John, who writes this book for us, The Beloved Disciple, is encouraging the church in their growth because they're fighting error, they're fighting what we call Gnosticism. Gnosticism, if you read the church newsletter, we've been dealing with that for the last three Sundays, a lot of craziness in Gnosticism on, on the person of Christ. And when you understand Gnosticism, First John will make a lot more sense to you. Now, you don't have to know Gnosticism to get a blessing from First John, but when you understand that, First John lightens up, and you're like, oh wow, that's why he's saying that, that's what that means, that's why he's stressing that fact. And uh, Gnosticism has a lot of points to a lot of isms. Um, and at the end of the day, what happens with Gnosticism is you have Jesus Christ, but it's not the Christ of the Bible. It's another Christ. It's not Emmanuel God with us, it's... A god, a created being, who comes to earth for the sole purpose. Let me even back up a little bit to help you even understand Gnosticism and, and, and the false teachings about it. Because you still see it in various forms today. Gnosticism is the teaching that there's a, another deity, the god, whose name is Abraxas. And Abraxas has a female deity alongside of him, the goddess of wisdom. Her name is Sophia. And Sophia, the goddess of wisdom, accidentally creates another god by the name Demiurge. And that Demiurge creates Adam and Eve. That's Gnosticism. Now Demiurge is not a good god. He's an evil god. He puts Adam and Eve in a prison. So what Abraxas does is Abraxas sends Lucifer to earth to teach Adam and Eve about knowledge so that they can escape the prison that the Demiurge has put them in. And Lucifer does that, but he doesn't give them enough wisdom. So Abraxas sends Jesus Christ to earth, and Jesus Christ comes, and his goal is to teach men how to have a higher spiritual level, how to attain another spiritual gain so that they can break the boundaries of this earth. And so you have Abraxas, you have Jesus Christ, and you have Sophia. They have their satanic trinity. Now, again, these things take different names. And by the way, as you study theology, in Roman Catholicism, they still worship Sophia as the goddess of wisdom. In many circles, in some Catholic circles, Sophia is the Holy Spirit of God. She's given a feminine personality which is, again, blasphemous. It's not proper theology. It's not biblical theology. But the, the, the teaching is that this demiurge is evil. And what he does is he punishes people who don't worship him. He, he kills people and he hurts people. He's an evil God. And that demiurge that was accidentally created by Sophia is the God of our Bible. And so what Gnosticism teaching is that our God that we worship is an evil, bad God. And not a good God, and and nothing could be. And it's really satanic. When we go back to the Garden of Eden, what was Satan trying to sell Eve? It, you know, what, if God's really good, well, why is He withholding this this tree from you? He's withholding something. And how can He be good if He's and, and and if He's holding something back that's good to have? And we know that God was a good God, and God is a good God because He was preventing man from falling into sin and. And Satan talked man into sinning, and, and sin fell upon all of us because of that. But Gnosticism gives us this false Christ who does not provide full salvation. He's not a Christ who pays for our sins. Brother Ronald here, Brother Ronald was coming in with his family this morning, and on the way the Jehovah Witnesses are going down the street, and they had a brief encounter with them. Now Jehovah Witnesses do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. He is a God a God created by God the Father. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is merely a force, an active force. That's their terminology. He's not a person. He's an active force. Well, the wind is an active force, but the Holy Spirit is not an active force, although he does act as one, but he is a person. Jehovah Witness theology or Watchtower theology, which is their real name, Watchtower theology teaches that Jesus Christ, a God, came to earth and he only paid partially for your sins. And so it's up to you to make sure that you pay for the rest of your sins and, and, and you don't get heaven because heaven is filled up. Only 144,000 people can fit in heaven. And so the rest of those who will follow Watchtower theology faithfully will get to inhabit the earth one day when Jesus Christ, their Jesus Christ, returns. Well, how do they pay for their sins? Well, they do it by doing two hours of soul winning every day along with good works and don't doing this and not doing this. and It's a works-based salvation. And so you, you do certain things. That's why on Sunday morning, you, know, you can go up on Corny Avenue and they're standing in front of the, the nail salon with a booth set up. Sunday morning, 7 o'clock, there's nobody on Kearney Avenue except the homeless people and they're avoiding them like the plague and nobody else. But as long as they do two hours, they're they're, they're getting their job in. Mormonism gives you a Gnostic Jesus Christ. Because, again, in, you have God the Father, but then God the Father had two children. He had Jesus Christ and he had Lucifer. And in, in that theology, you have the, Lucifer and Jesus debating how they can rescue mankind. And God rejected Lucifer's plan and he accepted Jesus' plan. And Lucifer got mad and upset and angry and he became Satan. And so Lucifer and, 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 and Jesus in Mormonism are brothers. That's false theology. And again, Jesus Christ comes to earth, dies on the cross, but again, he's not come to pay for your sins fully. You have to, he's, he's come to help you because a Mormon is a god in embryo form and it's the goal of every Mormon someday to become a god. Mormon teaches that God the Father was once a man who became so good he became God. That's false theology. God has always been God. And there's never been a day where God was not God. God was not a, never a man. That's, it's, it's basically Gnosticism. And what it's teaching. We can go into Roman Catholicism and look at Rome. And, and, and Jesus Christ is, again, did Jesus Christ pay for all your sins on Calvary's cross? Not according to the Roman Catholic Church. He only paid partially. And you have to atone for your sins and pay for your sins and, 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 and do restitution and do sacraments and do good works in order to help pay for some of your sins. And according to Roman theology, Mary... Is known as co-redemptress. She paid, she's, she's part of the redemption package. It's not Christ and Christ alone, but it's Christ and Mary as co redeemer She's Mother God. She's the Queen of Heaven. And there is no Queen of Heaven in your Bible. There is simply God. And God rules and reigns. It is Catholic teaching that if there's a King in heaven, and then there's a Son then there must be a woman involved and so therefore the holy spirit is represented as a woman giving us a family picture in heaven again that's not the bible picture that's gnosticism it's false teachings and so we may not they may not call it abraxas and sophia and demiurge and all these things but you see the underlying lie of all that nonsense is still here all around us. And so when you look at somebody, and so when a Jehovah's Witness says, I believe in Jesus, and you say, "Yay, they believe in Jesus. No, 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 it's a, it's a different Jesus, different definition. I went to try a hamburger one time at a place, and we'll mention it, but there was corn in my hamburger. Now listen, I like corn, and I like hamburgers, but the twain should not meet. <laughs> All right, One should stay on one side of the plate and the other and don't put them together. That's that's called shepherd's pie almost, amen? <laughs> but it's not a hamburger. All right, my friend, you can't take a Bible theology and mix it with Gnosticism and say you got the same thing. No, there's two different things. Two different things. And so we must be careful with knowing what we believe and why we believe and have Bible theology. We've had people walk in our church from time to time and And try to teach the motherhood and fatherhood of God. One lady came. Brother Horry, you were back there with me when they came in. and, And she was like the student. That guy was like there helping her. And she basically was trying to teach us about the motherhood of God. And there's no motherhood of God. That's a false religion. A false teaching. Which you find in many different places around the world. And again, it's not true. It goes back to, again, Gnosticism. It's a lie Satan introduced. And in the early church, when we have our New Testament, this was infiltrating the church. And, and, and many of the writers were trying to inc- stress with the, the believers that you have to have the right person of Christ. You have to know who he is and what he did. Because if, if you have a phony Christ who, did not, who is not God in the flesh, who did not die and pay for your sins, and he's the only way to heaven, then you got a Gnostic Jesus. It's a false Jesus. And, and many people out there have Jesus, but they got the false Jesus. They got the wrong Jesus. Years ago, my brother was arrested. I forget what he got arrested for. We got up some, somewhere way upstate New Jersey up there near Vernon area. And, and uh, he told me later on that when he got arrested, he didn't have his driver's license on him, so he gave them a different name. You know what name he gave him? He said, my name is Matt Swikowski. He gave him my name. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And uh, he was laughing about it, but I wasn't laughing. Now, so I ever see a warrant for my arrest somewhere in Vernon from 30 years ago. Just know it was my brother gave my name, or 40 years ago, to the police department up there because he didn't want to get caught. So my friend, I, they got the wrong Matt they, got, they, they It's not me. I didn't do it. I was back home sleeping when all those crimes were committed. So I, I say all these things and, and stress as we go through John to understand and again we can't go through all the false theology of the world we, we'd be here all, it's best to study the true and the real thing and then when the phony comes along we'll spot it a mile away and say no that's not here something that's wrong just the, you're not right that's not what the Bible teaches so John is encouraging the believers here in, in their growth and 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 the most important thing that you can do in your Spiritual life is to grow. You want to mature. Listen, when you were, when I was a in all of us probably the same way, when we were five years old, we couldn't wait to be 13. 13 was magic. I couldn't wait to get into eighth grade. We're gonna be in eighth grade. We're gonna run this place. We're gonna run this school. And then you're eighth grade, then you're a freshman in high school, and you're back to being nothing again. And 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 worry about being shoved in a locker. At least back in the day, amen. And, but I was big enough back then. I remember I was sitting in a study hall one time. We had a study hall, and I was sitting at a table full of seniors. And we all got along great until about one month out of sc- before they graduate. And they said, Matt, what are you going to do after you graduate? I said, I have no idea. It's still a long way off. They go, what do you mean? I said, I'm, I'm only a freshman. They go, you're a freshman? We thought you were a senior. That's why we were so nice to you. If we knew you were a freshman, we would have <laughs> But they were all we were such good friends at that point in time that they were laughing and joking about it. But my friend, we, 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 so you want to be in high school Then once you get... Then there's 18. Man, it can't wait to be 18. And then when you hit older, you wish you can go back and be 18 again. There's always these magic numbers of what you wish. But we want to be mature. We always want to be more than what we are right now. And that's a good thing, but don't rush it. So John is writing to to the Christians in this church about their spiritual maturity. About growing up. In the church, we read in chapter number 2... And verse number 12, John repeats himself several times here and he does this for a purpose. Because John is presenting to us three groups of people that you will find in any church or that you better have in a good church. A good church will possess all three groups of people. 1 John chapter 2 verse number 12, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Now, again, no, John is writing to every stage of believer here. He talks to the little children, he talks to the young men. And he talks to the fathers. Now, by those terminology, he's not re- referencing to a physical age, but a spiritual age. Little children, referring to those who are young converts, those who are new in the faith, to those who have recently trusted Christ and are and are learning. They're they're young in the faith. He talks then to the young men, those who have been saved and they're they're they've been saved for quite some time, and and they're. Uh, mature individuals, but they're still young men in their faith, and he talks to the fathers. These are the people in church who've been saved for many, many years. These are the older Christians in church who've just been there forever. Those are the ones who were there when you were a kid, and when you come back 30 years later to visit the place because you moved away, they're still there, but the hair is just a little more gray, Uh, but those are the mature believers. Every church needs these three groups of people. Oftentimes in church, the older crowd may not want the younger crowd because they mess up the building and, and, and things get dirty and, 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 and they, it, it, it's just messing up the way things always have been. And, 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 and the, the, if we have a church full of just young people and no spiritual maturity, then we have problems with that too. Who's going to help guide the, the younger Christians? And if we have a church just full of uh, that, that young men and no older people and no new birth taking place... That's a recipe for disaster as well. We have to have all three stages in the ministry here. Now, again, these little children who have just received Christ and they've begun to follow him. Now, my friend, if you're a newborn Christian, remember that he tells here that the the, the thing you struggle with as a new Christian is, am I saved? Did I lose my salvation? Am I really saved? And he encouraged you here, again, he's fighting Gnosticism when he stresses this, but he's also, you don't have to know Gnosticism to know this. He says in verse 12, I write to you literally because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake." The greatest thing that you need to understand when you got saved is that your sins were forgiven. How many sins, preacher? All of them. I mean, my past sins? No, all of them. <laughs> this is the hardest thing for a Christian to understand, all of them. Your future sins have been paid for. You have been forgiven. So I can sin tomorrow? Yes, you can because you're still forgiven. You're forgiven. And people struggle with this idea. Pastor, I'm no good. I'm a bum. I keep failing and and I I got saved, but I I keep messing up. Yes, (laughs) You, you do. But understand that your sins are forgiven. Your relationship with God has not altered because God has forgiven you for His namesake, and that, that namesake is Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus Christ. The sweetest name ever spoken to mortal ears is the name of Jesus Christ, because our sins have been forgiven us for Him. Jesus Christ paid for them on Calvary's cross. All my sins, yes, all my sins. We're paid for by Jesus Christ. I have no debt. We've all been in debt in life. And and the greatest thing you can ever do is not be in debt. Remember, cash is always king, my friend. And and, and debt is not how you build credit. (laughs) Paying your bills is how you have good credit. and Not being in debt is how you have good credit. I am not in debt with God with my sins because they've been paid for. They've been taken care of. That means I am no longer guilty of sin. That means I'm no longer to be judged for sin. I'm I'm no longer to be condemned for sin. And I'm no longer to be punished for sins. Why? Because they're paid for. If you have trusted Christ as Savior, you have trusted the great sin-bearer of the world. Jesus Christ took his sins upon himself on Calvary's cross. And there's no condemnation in us because he bore all of our condemnation. That's what makes our salvation such a great salvation according to the book of Hebrews. How can we neglect so great a salvation? It's great, my friend, because it did what we could not do. The Jehovah Witnesses don't have a great salvation because it's only partially paid for. Mormons don't have a great salvation because it's only partially paid for. Roman Catholicism doesn't have a great salvation because it's only partially paid for. And so on with the other cults and isms and schisms that are out there. Ours is great because Jesus paid all of that debt that I could not pay. I'm cleansed. And again, for His name's sake, God forgives our sins, not because you're so special, but for Christ's sake. He cleanses us, and, and, and He does so much more for us. God loves us perfectly. But God loves His own Son with a very special love, and God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, again did for us what we could not do. Therefore, no person can ever take the place of Christ. There is no other Christ. If you go to some isms, I have a book upstairs in my office by Sung Sun Young Moon, a false teacher. And, some, and in that book, I highlighted. if I can dig it out, it's, it's in my, it's, it, it, I have a section in my library upstairs called the Bad Book Section. And it's all filled with bad theologies. I got all kinds of wacko books up there. And, uh, and in there, I was reading that one day, where Sung Young Moon said that Jesus didn't pay for all our sins. He failed, so God sent Sung Young Moon to finish the work. That's good to know. And so if you go down to the airport, sell some flowers, and, and, and join their little group, you can, you can help have your sins forgiven. Well, it's no different than any other group that says, you know, you need to be part of us in order to have your sins forgiven. So again... Jesus Christ did for us what we could not do. Our sins are forgiven us. And all believers, young believers, must. this must be stressed. You lead somebody to Christ and, and, and you say to them, well, if you die right now, where are you going? And they say, well, I, I thank heaven. Oh, no, you're going to heaven. Well, I have to do something now, don't I? No, it's been paid for. It's like going to that restaurant where somebody pays the tab for you without you knowing about it. And you're like, well, what do I have to do? Well, you just say thank you and walk out and wipe the, wipe the scrambled eggs off your face and go. It's, you're, it's paid for. It's done. You don't have to do anything. Jesus paid for my sins? Yes. But you see, when you get saved, a change takes place in your life now because you're not the same person you once were. You argue with me. You mean I can go out and kill the neighborhood? You see, when you get saved, you don't want to kill the neighborhood. Before you got saved, you think about it a lot. Guy who's blowing leaves on your property. They've got the dog who's doing stuff on your property, and this one. You know, so you like this. I and, but when you get saved, you you you, you don't want to kill the neighborhood anymore because Jesus, the love of God dwells in your heart. And so people, I don't understand how. I, I mean, I I can do anything I want now that I'm a, a Christian. Well, you, yes, because your sins are forgiven. They're paid for. The difference is now is you just don't like sinning anymore. When I was in eighth grade, our teacher did an experiment. He said, I need somebody to do something here. And uh, I was always up for experiments. He's, and so he said, man, I want to put you on a diet. Now, back then, I didn't need a diet. I was a lean, mean fighting machine. You got to trust me on that one. And uh, he said, I want you to do something. He says, I want you to go two weeks with no sugar. Uh, he just might as well kill me right there. Because I was just, as eighth grade, I was a sugarholic. And no Coca-Cola, no this, no that. And, 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 I'm like, man alive, what did I sign up for here? Now, I didn't do that thing 100%. I I couldn't go cold turkey, but I did follow that thing as much as I could. And at the end of the experiment, he said, now I want you to go back to drinking your Coca-Cola and everything else. And he said, what did you find out? And I said, well, everything really tastes a lot sweeter. You can taste the sugar once you get out of your system. You can taste that stuff. It didn't stop me. I went right back to it and got my body junked up again and sugared up and back to where I needed to be. And so... But later on in life, I went on a diet and I quit Coca-Cola and everything else and lost a lot of weight, as you can tell. <laughs> and, uh, and so I would be drinking diet colas. You know, that's just as bad for rat poison. Yeah, whatever. And uh, so, But if you ever drink a real Coke after you're not used to it for a while, you're like, man, life! How you drink this stuff? It's syrupy, it's sweet, it's just, it's just wrong. Well, my friend, you see, when you get saved, God changes your taste buds, and the things that once used to taste good no longer taste good anymore because just things are different now. And so the young believers are encouraged here in their faith to know that their sins are forgiven them. He talks again in this verse, he says, I write unto you fathers in verse number 13, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Again, the spiritual fathers, these are people who with a who are mature with a deep, rich knowledge of God. And what a blessing it is to have these people in church, that they just know the Word of God, it just kind of like oozes out of them. And they just know their Bible and they talk about the things of God and they just—they don't have to struggle with it, it's just part of them. And so what, it is, what a, a blessing it is to have these, such a deep, rich knowledge of God and to have people like this in church and not to ignore them and say, well, they're just old, they don't know anything. No, they know a lot because they've learned a lot. And they've seen a lot. And how did they become mature believers? How did they grow up to be these spiritual fathers? And by the way, you don't have to be uh, you know, 70 years old to be a spiritual father. You can be a, a 40-year-old man or a, a, a woman with a deep, profound knowledge of God. It depends on how much you have fed on the Word of God. Spiritual growth is different than physical growth. Physical growth is by time. Spiritual growth is by how much you put into the Word of God and how much you put into you. And so these, these mature fathers, as he's referring to, are those who fed on the Word of God, and there is no substitute for the Word of God. The Christian must feed on his Bible, or else he will not become mature in his faith. I was watching a commercial the day. I, you know, I'm kind of laid up a lot. I, I either... Binge watching some TV show the other day, finished all 11 episodes, and said never will do that again in my life. But I couldn't stop. That I finished this this crazy alone series where they just throw people in the wilderness and see what happens to them as they emaciate themselves to death out there in the wilderness, eating berries and 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 whatever. And so you've seen this show, I guess. <laughs> So, it's like, man, there's a lady out there for like 62 days. I would have been dead the first week, and she's out there for 62 days in this frozen tundra up there. Oh, my friend, you know, their, their, their bodies were suffering atrophy, their muscles were getting weaker, and they were getting skinnier as they were going through this program. So-and-so is here for 38 days, they've lost 40 pounds. I'm like, "Well, I should do that." I told me in the wilderness, that's how I can handle 40 days out there, you know? I come back, i will be all right. My problem is a month later I'd be back up where I, where I left off. They weren't feeding, and so they all lost all kinds of weight. They even pulled people out because, listen, you're too, your, your organs are shutting down, you're, you're, you're weak, and, you're, and you're, your body's failing, and we've got to pull you out. You, you're kicked off the show, and they take them off to where they've got to take them to get them back to healthy again. You know, a lot of Christians, if we can see us spiritually, we would look that way, suffering from spiritual atrophy, And emaciated because we've never fed on the word of God. We don't make much of the word of God. We we would be like those people in concentration camps and POW camps who uh, who who just emaciated human beings and say, "Well, they're human skeletons." Well, I think a lot of Christians probably look that way to Almighty God. Look at them; they're they're wasting away because they never feed. On my word. They, they need to set a time for prayer. They need to learn to, to walk in prayer and, and communicate with God. They've learned to fellowship and to commune with God all day long. Uh, and, and, and witnessing and talking to people about Christ. They can tell you about the saving power of Jesus Christ. They've been loyal to the church. And there's no substitute for the local church. God ordained and has given us the local church. And any man who's a spiritual man, any woman who's a spiritual woman, it makes much of the local church. Because it's God's chosen place to be fed and fellowship in the word of God. And so God has given all we need to have so that we become mature fathers, as he refers to them here. And then he, he, he points to the young men here and, and is talking to them. And again, these are young men. And thank God for young people in the church. We need, when I was a, a young man in the church, when I was 20 years old, there was either 5-year-olds or 70-year-olds. It's how it was. I remember Miss Naira? Of course, Naira wasn't seventy years old, but she was, she was older than me by five years or so, and so. But there wasn't just a a lot, a whole lot of people like me here. But we stuck it out and said, well, this is my church. This is where God wants me, and so we worked on reaching people in the community. And sometimes people walk into a church and they and they and they look around. It's like anybody here my age? Anybody look like me? And, and, and all kinds of other things. They, you know, It's like a meat market. Anything you know, look good in here and they decide they're going to hang around or not. And so that's not how we approach church. Is this the place where they preach the Word of God? Is this the place solid on the Bible? Are they doing what the Scripture teaches them to do? And, and, and then I'll, I'll stay here and feed on the Word of God just because this is God's place for me. But we want young people in the church. And again, young people refers to mature believers, they have come far, but they're not at the age of the fathers. And they're no longer little children. They're, they're in that middle. This is a good group to have who can instruct the, 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 the younger people, and they can also assist the older people. It's a, it's a blessing to have that middle crowd in the faith there. But he notice what he says here about these, how do they become this middle-aged group or this, this, the, the young men? He says in verse number 13, I write unto you fathers because you've known him from, from the beginning. I write unto you young men... Because ye have overcome the wicked one. My friend, if we're going to become mature believers, we must overcome the wicked one. That's Satan. Learning to get victory over temptation. Listen, in our life, everybody gets attacked with every temptation imaginable. Your life as a believer will face all bombardments of all kinds of wicked thoughts, evil and immoral thoughts. Thoughts, I, I, I have a list here of things I wrote down that people have struggled with and illicit affairs, immoral practices, looking and lusting, drunkenness, shoplifting, drugs, stealing, lying, cheating, pride, arrogance, covetousness, hoarding, gossiping, backbiting, hate, anger, loving money, greed. All of these are temptations a child of God will face, but he learns to overcome them because he knows the word of God. Now, the computer world's a very interesting world. If you're on the Internet, if you've ever been on the Internet, you need to understand how this world operates. There's an artificial intelligence out there. We, we, you're familiar with it. It's called AI. Every single human being on the Internet has an AI that follows you. That follows you. It watches what you do. It knows when you log on. It knows when you log off. It knows what you look at. It knows how long you look at. So when you on your phone and you're scrolling and you pause for 10 seconds to watch that reel and then keep going or maybe you watch the entire reel, the AI says, you know what, this is what they like. This is what they're doing. This is what they're watching. So I'm gonna flood their phone, their tablet, their computer with these things. Listen, if you're getting, if you tell me you're getting inundated with pornographic image, know what you're telling me? Your AI knows what you're doing, so it's going to flood those things towards you. If you tell me, Pastor, all I get is videos of kitty cats playing with fuzzballs, you know what you just told me? That you're a weirdo who watches videos of cats playing with (laughs) fuzzballs. Or things like that, because your AI... And listen, the computer world, my friend, is a mass. They have computers everywhere watching you every moment. It's out there. It's a ma- and that, that's why when you click on Google and you're, and you're Googling microwave ovens, and next thing you know on your Facebook feed, there's an ad for a microwave oven. It's like, how in the world? And sometimes you just talk about things, and next thing an ad pops up, and you're like, what in the world? I put it on mute so it can't follow me. Yeah, hello. <laughs> yeah, yeah, lots of luck with that one. That's, and so, I mean, I was at a store at the dry cleaners, and there was an advertisement for an air show. And I talked to the lady said, oh, when's this air show? I said, I'd I, I, I like to see it. I've never been to an air show. Maybe I'd like to see this air show. And we're talking back and forth. I get in my car, look at my phone, Facebook, oh, air show. I was like, what in the world? He said, why are you telling us that, preacher? Well, my friend, you know, if we are overcome things in this world... We have an enemy who is constantly watching us, watching what we're doing, seeing what we're doing, and how we act. We have to learn to overcome those things, how we get through those things. So the the point is the believer who who have walked faithfully with Christ over a long period of time have learned to overcome temptation. Again, we all face it and we're all going to fall from time to time. We're all going to struggle with it. But we learn to overcome it. It's just, you know, Satan, stop. It's just, you know, we're not going there no more. We've learned to overcome these things. We've committed our lives, we've committed our possessions to Christ. And, and no, though the, Satan will attack us fiercely, and he, he wants us to lose our loyalty to Christ. You need to give that up. Don't be loyal to Christ, be loyal to me. And, and he provides nothing. And so, again, when we trust Christ as and, 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 Savior, you can expect the attacks to get further. I remember years ago, my father made this statement. My father, again, got saved very late in life. My father was in his early 60s when he got saved, and, he, and my father was, wasn't even close to being a Christian man. But my father made this statement one day to my mother. He said, you know, ever since we started going to that church, things seem to have gotten a whole lot worse in our life. Well, no, Dad, things were bad before. They really were you just, you never realized how bad they were, Dad. And uh, but now your your eyes are open to it. and Now that you're you're being attacked more than ever before, because Satan wants to destroy your testimony. What's worse than a lost Christ, a uh, lost individual, but a Christian with no testimony? Right. Paul talks about being shipwrecked. You know, I'm a castaway. I'm I'm saved, but I'm a castaway. I'm I'm of no use to God. God ought to take me and put me on a shelf because you know I really can't use you because you're just a you keep, you've messed up so much, and, and you got no testimony. Lot had no testimony to pull his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's another thing. People say, oh, I'm, I think I've done too much. I'm a castaway. But listen, if you're really worried about it, then you're probably not a castaway. I guarantee you that much. So how does a believer overcome? So he has these three groups that he keeps addressing. Children, fathers, young men. He keeps repeating this over and over through these first three verses here. Well, how do we overcome Satan. How do I overcome my enemy who wants to destroy me? Paul says in James, he says, If any man of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. My friend, when James talks about asking for wisdom, he's not talking for wisdom on how you can fix your car or, or the kitchen sink. It's wisdom on how to live my life in the, in the Christian faith. Help me to overcome. Give me wisdom... To know how to conduct my Christian affairs. Now, if you need when I was a kid in school, I pray for God for wisdom. God help me with this math test. Did you study, Matt? No. Well, I sure do need some wisdom right now. Well, Matt, guess what? Well, you're not getting it. What? <laughs> you didn't study? You didn't pay attention? I'm sorry, you're on your own here. So, my friend, don't ask God for wisdom when you never spent time in the book. God, oh, what's that verse again? You're on your own. <laughs> It's up to you to put it in you it's up to you to memorize it it's up to you to and by the way even if you just read the word of god eventually it it just kind of sticks into you it becomes part of you because you've absorbed it it's just part of your nature again you you eat certain foods a lot you'll you'll start stinking like those certain foods you you eat a lot of garlic my friend you're going to smell like a garlic (laughs) you can always tell the vampires are because they're running away from you Listen, because you just stink like garlic. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I kind of like it myself, but you know it's just how it is. And so, whatever it is you put into you, you're going to smell like that. Well, we want to put the word of God into us, and the word of God is sweet and wonderful, and we'll enjoy it. Renee, I was home the other day. I said, "I'm craving a pizza." Ever crave anybody else crave a pizza? You just want to slice a real pizza. Not that Domino's stuff, or Papa John's, or Domino's. That's, you know, <laughs> I don't even know how that survives around here. I really don't understand that. There's like 300 Domino's cars flying around this town, and, and I don't understand that at all. But Renee, I was in the chair. I just come home from the hospital, and Renee said, I'm, gonna, I'm here. I'm gonna, I said, you bring a couple slices of pizza. And I took a. I was like, oh. You ever eat something just go, oh. <laughs> just a, you haven't even swallowed it. It's just, a, you know, oh, man. That first bite on that little... Pyramid Peninsula, there. That's the, that's the most, like, oh man. <laughs> I'm sitting in a chair with my leg up, oh, and having a, having a moment in time. He so Don't laugh at me. You've all done that with something in your life. With with, with crystals, probably a bowl of rice or something over here, all right? <laughs> she had a rice. What, what was the, where were you? you had that rice. Uh, you, needed, you needed rice somewhere. Yeah. It was, no, just rice. You know, somewhere you hadn't had rice in a while. Maybe it was in Pennsylvania, yeah, out in college or something. I know it was Rosilda had that one time. We were at a teenage activity. And it was a week-long of pizza and hamburgers. By, by Friday, she snapped, and we're like, where's Rosilda? It's Brazilian. She ran over to the Chinese restaurant to get some rice. She was having withdrawals from the rice. Whatever makes you happy, it's America, amen? So me, I get, I get pizza withdrawals every now and then. <laughs> I can have a slice of pizza. Renee was out yesterday helping somebody, and so I... Send a pie over. Pepperoni. Hurry. <laughs> so she came home to eat lunch? Yeah. What'd you have? Pizza. And we got that Elio stuff in the refrigerator for backup. And she's, oh, yeah. The, no. You can't lie to my wife, hey, amen? I saved you a few slices there in the refrigerator, so she had a my pepperoni slices of pizza there if you don't like pepperoni pizza I'm I'm seriously wondering about your Christianity I I just you you got problems now I'm way off course here and uh, I'm hungry now (laughs) because that pop tart I had at 7 o'clock is worn off understand something we must feed on the word of God And read the Word of God. You know, you go to work, instead of listening to the sports or talk, have the the Bible playing. Ain't gonna hurt you. The world's not changing, it's 24 7 news. You don't need it 24 7, trust me. Listen to the Word of God. Listen to what the Scripture has to say. We want wisdom? Ask of God, the Bible says. So, how do I overcome Satan? Well, I have to know who my enemy is. In any warfare, there's two things you need to know. First of all, you need to never underestimate your enemy. Don't ever underestimate him. And second, you can't overestimate him either. Know who your enemy is. Know who he is. Have wisdom. How do I know about my enemy? You got a book. (laughs) You got a book. It tells you all about him. We're also told they overcame them by using the word of God, by quoting the word of God in our minds. Jesus was tempted three times. And each time when the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted, what did he say? It is written. It is written. It is written. We overcome temptation by using the word of God. That's the only defense we have in in helping us fight temptation. This is what the word of God says. says. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. When witnessing to my friend Scott many years ago, I kept saying, well, Scott, the Bible says, well, Scott, the Bible says, well, Scott, the Bible says, you put a lot of stock in that Bible. I said, well, the Bible says, and just give them the word of God. And and, and because that's the only thing we have. Don't let anybody ever take your Bible away from you because that's all you have at the end of the day is your Bible. They overcame them by yielding their bodily members not to sin. The Bible says in Romans, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. I am to give myself to, to God for like God use it, not for Satan to use it. He had it long enough, now it's God's turn to do something with it. And I have to yield myself to doing sinful, wicked, immoral things. What can God do with me? And how can I glorify God? And every Christian will face all types of challenges in their life, especially young people, will face all types of challenges in the business of what they yield themselves to and yield their bodies to. We're not to yield it to ungodly things and wicked things. Ephesians talks about overcoming what the Armor of God, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Ephesians talks about the armor of God. I'm going to put on that armor. You say, I didn't know about this armor. Well, if you read your Bible, you'd know all about it. you know about the helm of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and the breastplate of righteousness, and having our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and our loins girded about with truth. we know all these things. They all represent the word of God. and We protect ourselves with the word of God from our enemy. Why do you think Satan hates this book so much and tries to get it banned everywhere because it's the only thing that's going to help you? Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan wants to devour people. They overcame him by not giving themselves to anger or giving place to the devil. Listen, when we make room for the devil, he'll take it. When we allow for sin to come into our life. My wife and I have joint account everything. You go on Facebook, it's Matt and Renee. People say, well, how come you have a joint account? Well, it's this way it protects me and it protects her. You know, not that there's anybody coming after me, but it's just what it is. It's just our account. Now, I'm not saying you all have to do that. But as long as you all got each other's passwords and you can all look at each other's account. So whatever I'm looking at, my wife looks at. somebody messages me, my wife sees the message. You want to get in touch with me? Listen, and it's a secret, uh, and, and if it's going to be something bad, my wife will know about it. Hey, sweetheart, I got a message from so-and-so. They want to meet me at 10 o'clock tonight at the hotel, and maybe you should go over there and, and meet with them. And, and, I, and I feel sorry for you when she shows up, because she to take you out. And so uh, why am I doing that? Because I'm protecting myself. I'm not giving place to the devil. I know Matt Swikowski. He's not that strong. I need to obey the scriptures and do it. So everything we have, we have a joint Google account on, on the, on the uh, now she has her email. I have my email, but I can see her emails. She can see I, my emails. So if you really want to talk to me personally, and I, I'm not opposed to that, and, and it's something spiritual that you can help with, you can you always text me and say, and I'll say, listen, I have to meet with so-and-so. What's it about? Well, it's something spiritual, and, and we'll deal with it. So I'm not, she's not sitting in on the conversation. We'll help you. But anything further than that, then my wife's going to know about it because I'm protecting our marriage, which is important to, to Almighty God and, and to us and the ministry and, and, to, and to my health's sake. Amen? You know, years ago, there was a preacher in Florida. He committed adultery. The church fired him. They got a couple, another pastor in, and they fired him. Then they brought back the adulterer, and the, the adulterer committed adultery again, and they fired him. They brought another guy back. And then finally, third time, they brought the adulterer back for the third time. They say, you know, you understand something. Our pastor has a disease. He has a disease, and, uh, and so he really can't help himself. He's got this disease. Adultery is not a disease, by the way. My wife has a cure for that disease, by the way. If I was caught that disease, they, 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 the police would walk in, and... My wife would be there with the gun. and She'd be like, how do you reload this thing as I'm, as I'm, as I'm laying there? Amen. That's how, that's how she, we take care of that disease. And I guarantee it. it Straighten me right out. As, <laughs> she hasn't said anything all day long. Now since so she pipes up. <laughs> Renee, you've got a fan club there. All right. <laughs> All right. So again, I'm not doing anything, but I'm just simply saying there's a lot of wackos out there, and I can't help myself. No, you can help yourself. You can. So again, we submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he says he will flee from you. When Joseph was faced with temptation, what did Joseph do? He fled from that wicked woman. Say a woman wouldn't lie. <laughs> Hello. Be careful with that one. We've got to believe every woman. No. <laughs> Mrs. Potiphar in the Bible. Everybody's innocent until proven guilty, by the way. They overcome them. Again, not going into the path of the wicked. Proverbs 4.14, Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of the evil man. Watch the path you're going on. What's this crowd doing? And How are they acting? And what's this crowd doing? Which path do I want to go down? So again, spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, my friend, depends on your, uh, your faithfulness to, to, what, to the things of God. And so John is encouraging the believers here uh, in, the, in the church about their, the three groups of people in their life. And, and again, little children, as you grow, understand your sins are forgiven you. And, and Christ paid for those things. Grow, mature. And, and you young men... You're, 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 you're spiritual, mature in the faith because you've learned to overcome the wicked one. That's how you got to this point in time. And you fathers, you're here because you have known him from the beginning. You have faithfully and, 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 and on course, stayed the course with him. And that's why you're there as a spiritual older crowd because you've just been doing this your entire life. You're just spiritually mature. It's just part of you now. You can't do anything else but this because it's just your nature now. And So we look at these things and where do we find ourselves in this list? Again, nothing wrong with either one of them. They're all wonderful places to be, but we all want to move up in life. We all want to grow so that we become the Christian God wants us to be in our local church, in our local assembly. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, we do thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for Jesus Christ who loved us and died for us. Thank you that our sins have been forgiven us and we are cleansed. Now, Lord, I pray that you will bless the time and the hour now, help the church as we have gathered and come apart from the world. And uh, many are here, Lord, with burdens and struggles and, and Lord, somehow things in their life they're dealing with. Help them to realize they can overcome all things through Christ. Now, bless the time and the hour now. And if anybody's not saved, help them